Well, not quite sure why I ended the episode that way, because we are getting into it right now. I am bringing you, from Mr. Sam Collins himself, the first chapter of The War of the Worlds. Could not be more excited about this, and I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I give you the first chapter of The War of the Worlds. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no, thanks for getting in touch. It's been a it's been a while. <laughs> it has, yes, quite a while. That was uh, 2020, the Christmas of 2020 that we did all that. So, <laughs> been yeah, quite a while, indeed. Yeah, how, how you been? What's what's new? What's going on? You said you had people working, uh, like in and around your house. Is that re- affecting your recording abilities? It is, yeah. So it, it's been busy. It's uh, so I've been doing my uh, my podcast, what you may have missed, and yes. I've just finished my third series of that. Nice. Um, but the builders on the roof have kind of had an impact on record. I can only record in the evenings now. So, oh, no. uh, but hopefully we're getting to the back end of the work. So I'll be able yeah. to just record in, you know, during the day. Yeah. <laughs> Some people have no, no tact. It's like, come on guys. Don't you know there's important podcasting going on here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm good. If you're good, like let's just get into it. I, I think, uh, I just want to kind of catch, catch up with you. Um, and then we'll talk about kind of what is going on, the big plans for the, the team up, the legendary yeah. team up here and stuff. And uh, we'll go from there. So a uh, little background for everybody. If you haven't been listening to the podcast for a while, uh, Mr. Sam Collins uh, was the, the voice uh, of the uh, notable Scrooge in uh, Another World Audiobooks production of A Christmas Carol audio drama that we did. I think it was 2020, uh, Christmas of 2020, which uh, to this day, probably still one of my most proud uh, things that I've ever done in the podcast just, just came out so well, just absolutely loved it. And uh, I think it was, it was a blast. Like on top of that, it was just so much fun. So uh, Sam Collins, welcome to the podcast. Once again, your return to the podcast. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much. It's Yeah, <laughs> like I said, it's been a, what, two years since we did yeah. um, Christmas Cow. And that was just so much fun. Being able <laughs> to collaborate with so many people from all over the place. All brilliant, yeah. brilliant voice artists. It was it was brilliant fun that <laughs> yeah it really was and i yeah i i still listen to it i think uh it's one of those things where um i know a lot of people are like oh i can't stand hearing my voice on on tape you know or whatever or recorded yeah. and i don't know just when it, when you got such a cool cast of people and just a cool story like uh i can't not listen to it like it's so good <laughs> it is brilliant and like i i kind of the 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 feedback that i got from friends and family that had listened to it was like everyone is just amazing it was oh, all awesome. brilliant so oh, man. that was kind of it was one of the best things about it was just the reaction of people that listened to it and yeah yeah it was fantastic all right well people you've heard it here if you haven't listened to the uh, another world audio books christmas carol audio drama go and check that out it is definitely worth your time and attention so um yeah sam thanks for again for coming on uh why don't we just like jump into kind of what we've got going here what we've got brewing um so long story short people i've been doing this podcast um coming on five years now <clears throat> which has been so much fun uh done a ton of different audiobooks but I guess part of what I'm I'm trying to do here is just to expose you to other audio narrators because there's so many amazing talents out there, and um, you know I, I 
I love doing what I'm doing, but it is a lot of time, a lot of effort and all that sort of thing. Plus, um, I think there's probably an element of people just getting bored of my voice. So <laughs> um, I guess it was last year I had uh, Nikki Brown on, who she actually was uh, also in the audio drama uh, of A Christmas Carol. She came on and did a special guest host uh, book. Uh, she did a secret garden that was last year. And uh, uh, Mr. Collins has agreed to come on to do uh, a rendition of a book as well. And I couldn't be more excited about it and so sam let's get into that kind of tell us uh what what you uh have in mind for this and then what people can can look forward to yeah so um <clears throat> I, i've chosen one of the books that to me is uh, very influential and i think one of the things about me is that I, I i love mythology but one of the things i really love is science fiction and the book i've chosen did in my opinion, did for sci-fi an alien invasion what Mary Shelley's Frankenstein did for horror. Mm. Um, and it's, it's The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. And it's, it, it's such a fantastic book, so ahead of its time. And it's, um, I mean, it was written in 1898. Wow. It was written during the reign of Queen Victoria. It was, <laughs> it, and you're talking about alien invasions. So it wow. was these two kind of, you know, it's worlds apart. But yeah. um, it's one of the most influential books that I've ever read um, and kind of introduced me after Star Wars to the wider world of science fiction. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's, so, uh, what was your, your first exposure to it? Cause I, I don't think, I mean, I'm obviously uh, you're from across the pond if people haven't been able to pick up on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know like what, if, if that was like required reading in school or how, how did you come across it? So <clears throat> I actually came across it. So my, the only kind of science fiction I'd ever watched was star Wars. And then in 2005, Steven Spielberg brought out the war of the world's film, mm. but it was set over in the States. And gotcha. I mainly listen to it because I'm, I'm a huge fan of Steven Spielberg and the composer he mainly uses, John Williams. So I was mainly listening it, watching it to listen to the music. Nice. Um, and then shortly after we watched that, my dad introduced me to the, the musical adaption by Jeff Wayne, which is just iconic in regards mm. to musical adaptions of books. Um, like if you've not listened to it, go and listen to it. It's amazing. Wow. Um, and from there, it's kind of been a, a staple of my reading library. Um, wow. I don't read it every year, but I read it fairly regularly. Huh. Um, so it's always kind of, it's always got a little, little place in my, in my heart just to go back yeah, to it and sure. dip into it again. <laughs> That's so cool. I had, I had no idea there was a musical version. Like, tell me more, like, what is that like? Like, is people like a musical, like people singing or like what? what yeah. So there's people, what it's, does it alien was, singing sound like? Um, so there's none of the alien singing. <laughs> oh, there's none of the alien singing, but it's, um, <laughs> it, it's almost like, I don't know. It's very. I try to think when it was written. I think it was. I think it was the eighties. So there's a lot of synthesizers. There's a lot of yeah. electronic sounds. Huh. Um, there's lots of kind of uh, very memorable melodies, and yeah. it, it's just it's it's quite funky. <laughs> um, wow. But it's it's brilliant. I, yeah, go and check it out. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Who who did you say that was by? It was Jeff Wayne. Jeff Wayne. Okay. And is he, uh, I'm, I'm assuming he's done like other stuff or like what, what's going to. 
his uh, claim to fame there? You know, I'm not sure. Okay. As far as I'm aware, that's his most famous work. Okay. Interesting. In regards to others, I'm not sure though. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. Good to know. Have to check that out. Um, but yeah, uh, so War of the Worlds. Uh, yeah, if you guys are into sci-fi or anything like that, which I'm assuming, I don't know, I, I, I don't come across many people who just absolutely hate it. Uh, it seems <laughs> like there's a lot of people that, that are into it. So um, the the whole concept of aliens and that sort of thing, you, it, it sounds like that this was pretty, uh, like, initiatory i don't think that's a word but uh basically it was kind of one of the the first uh delves into that is that correct that this was kind of one of the the progenitors i guess is that probably a better word of uh, yeah. modern sci-fi yeah it was but it was also um it was also written as a basically an analogy and it was it, he wells wrote it to almost to encourage encourage his readers to question the morality of imperialism hmm. so it was it, it was written during the height of the british empire and when people were starting to question its well its morals and its yeah so the idea of aliens coming from space and landing in england ah. was to the brits at the time it was kind of this abstract concept oh no one's going to attack us because we're the mm -hmm. mightiest nation in the world but yeah and i think it kind of brought home to people that actually imperialism isn't all good <laughs> yeah you know a foreign huh. foreign nation coming in basically just tearing it apart yeah in some respects and yeah but i think I it was one of the first to use aliens as a um antagonist okay that's that's fascinating. Yeah, it's so cool when you when you deal, go back into history and see stuff. It's like uh, just where things came from. I was uh, listening to something the other day about they were talking about Tolkien actually and how we look at you know things like oh it's just it's kind of tropish these days, but like what he was coming up with was like the the start of it all. And you have these these people that are just like the the grandfathers of of everything that we enjoy um, hmm. when it comes to, to fiction and all that sort of thing. So it's really cool that we're going to get to delve into that that um so yeah really excited about that um ladies and gentlemen this is gonna be a special treat um you get to hear my fake british accent on a regular basis on this podcast <laughs> uh we're gonna get to get uh the the real deal here for for the 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 coming up uh of these po this podcast with uh sam collins and another uh world audiobooks doing a collaboration and it really is a collaboration because you too have a podcast is that uh, is that correct Yes, I do. So I've got my um, my podcast, What You May Have Mythed, and it's um, it's basically it explores myths and legends from all over the world, rather than just the the standard ones that we're always told about from Rome and from Greece and from Norse mythology. So yeah. it, it kind of it goes to countries that wouldn't necessarily have a voice here, um, talking about their mythology. So it's a it's basically retelling myths from yeah. everywhere around the world 
I love that. I love that. And and just to be clear, everyone, um, Sam does not have a, a lisp. It is uh, what you may have missed with a <laughs> M-Y-T-H-E-D. Very nice, uh, clever play on words there. Got to love it. Um, so yeah, that, definitely check that out if you enjoy this type of thing. I mean, I, I always love delving into that as well. I keep using the word delving, but it's a good word um, because there, there's so much <laughs> there, there's so much in there that, that just gets lost. I mean, there's so many stories um, I mean, you just think about like the, the publishing revolution that we've had over the last several uh, decades here with mm-hmm. self-publishing becoming a thing. Like, I mean, there's just there's so many stories out there that we just nobody's exposed to anymore these days because uh, you're just, you know, on, on TikTok, like watching uh, dumb videos yeah. and stuff like let's let's really uh, I think it's so cool to be able to get back a little bit more to um, you know, kind of the foundation of fiction and where it came from. Cause I mean, there's, there's a reason that classics are classic. I mean, there, there's yeah. a reason that these sort of things stand the test of time and hold up over years and years and decades. And I mean, what would you say? This is 18, something, what was it? 18. Yeah. So War of the Worlds is 1898. 1898. That's incredible. Mm. It's over 120 years ago that this mm. came out and it's still being read today, still influencing people today, I would say. So, uh, it just, is, it is. Yeah. yeah. And it, um, actually a fun fact, it had a direct influence on the space race, this book, because wow. it influenced Robert H. Goddard, who then went on to develop the liquid fueled rocket and the multi-stage rocket, which resulted in the Apollo 11 mission of 1969, which landed on the moon. So wow. only 72 years <laughs> after this book's written about alien invasion, yeah. we landed on the moon. That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> no, I could not be more excited to get into this. Like I said, this is not one that I've read. And honestly, that was kind of one of the motivations of this podcast is I was like, there's so many books that I want to read. And one, I couldn't find a decent audiobook for it. because uh, There's a lot of, you know, just kind of junky stuff out there. But being mm. able to, to, you know, really dive in with high quality audiobook stuff that, that people really enjoy listening to. And then um, just being able to get into books that, that I had never even had a chance to, to get into before. So uh, yeah, this is gonna be awesome. So excited about it. Um, and maybe just tell people, I know, I think we delved into this a little bit. There we go again. Uh, a, a little bit in the uh, interview that we did with you before the Christmas Carol uh, hmm. audio drama came out. Um, but maybe just tell people a little bit about your story, why you're into this whole voiceover thing. I mean, there's other things you could be doing with your life, but there's uh, some kind of crazy passion that, that's going on here. And just kind of share people a little bit about your story and backgrounds, uh, how you got into voice acting, um, and, and kind of what you're doing now. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so my, when I first went to uni, I studied music and my main instrument was, um, singing. So I've always, I've always used my voice. I through mm. school, I was in musicals and I sang and I was in choirs. And so I went to the university and I was using my voice. And then, um, I went to university again and I did a teaching degree. And obviously when you teach a primary school teacher, which I am, you read a lot of stories to kids mm. and kind of, I, I always grew up with audiobooks, and my favorites were the Harry Potter books read by Stephen Fry. There you go. And so I started reading the Harry Potter books to the kids in my classes. Ah. And then I started reading them to my partner. And then I started reading them kind of more widely to other friends and stuff. And then I, I kind of, I really enjoyed it. I really liked kind of, making up voices and putting on voices and kind of using that dramatic element that for a few years I didn't get to use when I was after uni and before uh, going to do a teaching qualification. So mm. 
I then kind of went, yeah, well, I quite like it. I'm going to try and <laughs> do something more with it. So yeah. and actually at the moment I'm reading The Lord of the Rings to, to people as well, which oh, wow. is that that's a tome and a half <laughs> <laughs> no kidding yeah how where like how, how did that start and, and where are you in it it's a it's a it's a journey <laughs> yeah so we're just we're at the um we just finished book one of fellowship of the ring wow um because it, it, the lord of the rings is actually six books but it's divided yeah. into three volumes um so yeah we've just uh we're about to have the <laughs> the council of elrond chapter which is wow. long enough in itself but yeah. uh, I'm reading it to my partner at the moment, and she's she loves it. Yeah, <laughs> or so she, so she tells me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got a good partner there. Sounds like yeah. that is, that's incredible. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's so cool um, to be able to communicate things to people that that you love, and just be able to share something that you love and that you're passionate about. And uh, yeah, I think you know, for me, fiction definitely lands in that realm and and yeah just being able to kind of get it out is uh i i think voice actors are, are a unique kind we're, we're not uh your everyday run-of-the-mill type of people because like i said i think a lot of people oh I, you know, I can't stand to hear my voice recorded and even if you don't listen back to yourself like just being willing to put your voice out there and and communicate mm. to other people through that medium it's it's a stretch for a lot of people and um yeah i'm just so glad that you're willing to uh grace the world with your your talents and and willing to share them with the the crowd here on another world audiobooks i know that everyone's gonna really really enjoy it i'm so so looking forward to it um so yeah people go check out uh what you may have missed and uh and uh it's just an awesome podcast the retelling of those uh old because i think a lot of those um old uh, myths and that sort of thing they're very unapproachable and um just don't don't really make sense <laughs> a lot of the time so how, how have you found that just kind of or, or do you feel like you're kind of working as an interpreter or how do you how do you look at that yeah it, it's funny because lots of them are some of them are they're fantastic stories and they're just like the, the the tales that they're telling are so widespread and like they're so relatable but some of the ways that they're written are they're difficult to read Mm. And some of them, they're just, and I hate to sound crude, but some of them are just really boring <laughs> the way they're written. And it was kind of like, my main idea was just to kind of just give it a new zest of life. Love it. Um, kind of retell it in an entertaining way. Yeah. Um, so I think my, I think the second episode is probably still my favorite. And it's about how music came to the world. Hmm. And it's an Aztec uh, myth. Okay. And... It was. I, I read a version of it, and it was just. I was like, "How can I make this more entertaining?" Yeah. And um, one of them was actually just through the dialogue and the voices. Yeah. So, uh, so they're Aztec gods, but they've got one of them's got a Scottish accent, and one of them's got <laughs> a, a accent from Birmingham. So it kind of just adds that. Oh, hang on, what am I listening to here? Yeah, what's it going was, on? Um, yeah, but it. it, it and my cousin said it was it's definitely his favorite episode but just because it was so that it, it was the story you wanted to hear yeah. but in a really entertaining way that's awesome yeah that that was actually going to be my next question just like if if somebody wants to get started on the podcast what would you say is is one of your your favorite episodes or your favorite myth that you've come across but sounds like uh, we've got the uh, got the answer right there yeah that one <laughs> or the and I I know I do myths from around the world but I I love the war of troy the story mm. of Troy and its its fall is just so. I mean, it's it stood the test of time because it's what three and a half thousand years old. That story, yeah. yeah. It's um, 
it's still very relatable today. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea of these heroes and villains and, you know, there's a lot of characters in a gray area on both sides rather than, mm. you know, box standard black, white hero yeah. villain. So, I mean, you do have the villains and you do have the heroes, but the majority are kind of morally ambiguous to say. Figuring things out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend everybody go check that out. And uh, yeah, just let, uh, let them know that you, you came from Another World Audiobooks and checking out his podcast. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great way to learn lessons too. I think there's there's a lot that can be just taught through those things mm. that uh, is really lost you know, in today's uh, society. So I think uh, it's definitely worth worth checking out. Um, so go go check it out. And thanks so much, uh, Sam, for coming on. Um, if if people do want to, to follow you, to check out your stuff, the, whether it be the, the podcast or anything else, what's the, the best place for them to go do that? So I'm on Instagram, and I'm also on uh, TikTok as well. Nice. Uh, and it's all at um, what you may have missed. So it's all yeah. under that kind of umbrella of a name. Nice. Got, got the handle. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Alrighty. Well, thanks, Sam, uh, so much. And people, be, uh, stay in tune to another World Audiobooks. We're going to have some awesome stuff coming your way. Uh, Sam's going to be bringing it, and I know you're going to love it. So thanks again, and uh, we will catch you next time. The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Read by Sam Collins. Book One. The Coming of the Martians. Chapter One. The Eve of War No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that this world was being watched, keenly and closely, by intelligences greater than man's and yet as mortal as his own, that as men busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinised and studied perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinise the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacency, men went to and fro over this globe about their little affairs, serene in their assurance of their empire over matter. It is possible that the Invasoria under the microscope do the same. No one gave a thought to the older worlds of space as sources of human danger, or thought of them only to dismiss the idea of life upon them as impossible or improbable. It is curious to recall some of the mental habits of those departed days, at most, terrestrial men fancied there might be other men upon Mars, perhaps inferior to themselves and ready to welcome a missionary enterprise. Yet across the gulf of space, minds that are to our minds as ours are to those of the beasts that perish, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes, and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. And early in the twentieth century came the great disillusionment. The planet Mars, I scarcely need remind the reader, revolves about the sun at a mean distance of 140 million miles, and the light and heat it receives from the sun is barely half of that received by this world. It must be, if the nebula hypothesis has any truth, older than our world, and long before this earth ceased to be molten, life upon its surface must have begun its course. The fact that it is scarcely one-seventh of the volume of the earth must have accelerated its cooling to the temperature at which life could begin. It has air and water and all that is necessary for the support of animated existence. 
Yet so vain is man and so blinded by his vanity that no writer up to the very end of the nineteenth century expressed any idea that intelligent life might have developed there far or indeed at all beyond its earthly level. Nor was it generally understood that since Mars is older than our Earth, with scarcely a quarter of the superficial area and remoter from the Sun, it necessarily follows that it is not only more distant from time's beginning, but nearer its end. The secular cooling that must some day overtake our planet has already gone far indeed with our neighbour. Its physical condition is still largely a mystery, but we know now that even in its equatorial region the midday temperature barely approaches that of our coldest winter. Its air is much more attenuated than ours, its oceans have shrunk until they cover but a third of its surface, and as its slow seasons change, huge snowcaps gather and melt about either pole and periodically inundate its temperate zones. That last stage of exhaustion, which to us is still incredibly remote, has become a present-day problem for the inhabitants of Mars. The immediate pressure of the necessity has brightened their intellects, enlarged their powers, and hardened their hearts. And looking across space with instruments and intelligences such as we have scarcely dreamed of, they see, at its nearest distance, only thirty-five million of miles sunward of them, a morning star of hope, our own warmer planet, green with vegetation and grey with water, with a cloudy atmosphere eloquent of fertility, with glimpses through its drifting cloud wisps of broad stretches of populous country and narrow, navy-crowded seas. And we men, the creatures who inhabit this earth, must be to them at least as alien and lowly as are the monkeys and lemurs to us. The intellectual side of man already admits that life is an incessant struggle for existence, and it would seem that this too is the belief of the minds upon Mars. Their world is far gone in its cooling, and this world is still crowded with life, but crowded only with what they regard as inferior animals. To carry warfare sunward is, indeed, their only escape from the destruction that generation after generation creeps upon them. And before we judge of them too harshly, we must remember what ruthless and utter destruction our own species has wrought, not only upon animals, such as the vanished bison and the dodo, but upon its inferior races. The Tasmanians, in spite of their human likeness, were entirely swept out of existence in a war of extermination waged by European immigrants in the space of fifty years. Are we such apostles of mercy as to complain of the Martians warred in the same spirit? The Martians seem to have calculated their descent with amazing subtlety, their mathematical learning is evidently far in excess of ours, and to have carried out their preparations with a well-nigh perfect unanimity. Had our instruments permitted it, we might have seen the gathering trouble far back in the nineteenth century. Men like Schiaparelli watched the Red Planet. It is odd, by the by, that for countless centuries Mars has been the star of war but failed to interpret the fluctuating appearances of the red markings they mapped so well. All that time the Martians must have been getting ready. During the opposition of 1894 a great light was seen on the illuminated part of the disk, first at the Lick Observatory, then by Perrotin of Nice, and then by other observers. English readers heard of it first in the issue of Nature dated August 2nd. I am inclined to think that this blaze may have been the casting of the huge gun in the vast pit sunk into their planet from which their shots were fired at us. Peculiar markings, as yet unexplained, were seen near the site of that outbreak during the next two oppositions. The storm burst upon us six years ago now. 
As Mars approached opposition, Lavelle of Java set the wires of the astronomical exchange palpitating with the amazing intelligence of a huge outbreak of incandescent gas upon the planet. It had occurred towards midnight of the 12th, and the spectroscope to which he had at once resorted indicated a mass of flaming gas, chiefly hydrogen, moving with an enormous velocity towards this Earth. This jet of fire had become invisible about a quarter past twelve. He compared it to a colossal puff of flame, suddenly and violently squirted out of the planet as flaming gases rushed out of a gun. A singularly appropriate phrase it proved, yet the next day there was nothing of this in the papers except a little note in the Daily Telegraph, and the world went in ignorance of one of the gravest dangers that ever threatened the human race. I might not have heard of the eruption at all had I not met Ogilvy, the well-known astronomer at Ottershaw. He was immensely excited at the news, and in the excess of his feelings invited me up to take a turn with him that night in the scrutiny of the Red Planet. In spite of all that has happened since, I still remember that vigil very distinctly. The black and silent observatory, the shadowed lantern throwing a feeble glow upon the floor in the corner, the steady ticking of the clockwork of the telescope, the little slit in the roof, an oblong profundity with the stardust streaked across it. Ogilvy moved about, invisible but audible. Looking through the telescope, one saw a circle of deep blue and the little round planet swimming in the field. It seemed such a little thing, so bright and small and still, faintly marked with transverse stripes and slightly flattened from the perfect round. But so little it was, so silvery warm, a pin's head of light. It was as if it quivered, but really this was the telescope vibrating with the activity of the clockwork that kept the planet in view. As I watched, the planet seemed to grow larger and smaller, and to advance and recede, but that was simply that my eye was tired. Forty millions of miles it was from us, more than forty millions of miles of void. Few people realise the immensity of vacancy in which the dust of the material universe swims. Near it in the field, I remember, were three faint points of light, three telescopic stars infinitely remote, and all around it was the unfathomable darkness of empty space. You know how that blackness looks on a frosty starlight night. In a telescope it seems far profounder, and invisible to me because it was so remote and small, flying swiftly and steadily towards me across that incredible distance, drawing nearer every minute by so many thousands of miles, came the thing they were sending us the thing that was to bring so much struggle and calamity and death to the earth. I never dreamed of it then as I watched. No one on earth dreamed of that unerring missile. That night, too, there was another jetting out of gas from the distant planet. I saw it. A reddish flash at the edge, the slightest projection of the outline just as the chronometer struck midnight. And at that I told Ogilvy and he took my place. The night was warm and I was thirsty, and I went stretching my legs clumsily and feeling my way in the darkness to the little table where the siphon stood, while Ogilvy exclaimed at the streamer of gas that came out towards us. That night, another invisible missile started on its way to the Earth from Mars, just a second or so under twenty-four hours after the first. I remember how I sat on the table there in the blackness, with patches of green and crimson swimming before my eyes. I wished I had a light to smoke by little suspecting the meaning of the minute gleam I had seen and all that it would presently bring me. Ogilvy watched till one, and then gave it up, 
and we lit the lantern and walked over to his house. Down below in the darkness were Ottershaw and Chertsey and all their hundreds of people, sleeping in peace. He was full of speculation that night about the condition of Mars, and scoffed at the vulgar idea of its having inhabitants who were signalling us. His idea was that meteorites might be falling in a heavy shower upon the planet, or that a huge volcanic explosion was in progress. He pointed out to me how unlikely it was that organic evolution had taken the same direction in the two adjacent planets. "'The chances against anything man-like on Mars are a million to one,' he said. Hundreds of observers saw the flame that night, and the night after about midnight, and again the night after, and so for ten nights a flame each night. Why the shot ceased after the tenth no one on earth has attempted to explain. It may be the gases of the firing caused the Martians inconvenience. Dense clouds of smoke or dust, visible through a powerful telescope on earth as little grey fluctuating patches, spread through the clearness of the planet's atmosphere and obscured its more familiar features. Even the daily papers woke up to the disturbances at last, and popular notes appeared here, there, and everywhere concerning the volcanoes upon Mars. The serio-comic periodical Punch, I remember, made a happy use of it in the political cartoon. And, all unsuspected, those missiles the Martians had fired at us drew earthward, rushing now at a pace of many miles a second through the empty gulf of space, hour by hour, and day by day, nearer and nearer. It seems to me now almost incredibly wonderful that, with that swift fate hanging over us, men could go about their petty concerns as they did. I remember how jubilant Markham was at securing a new photograph of the planet for the illustrated paper he edited in those days. People in these latter times scarcely realised the abundance and enterprise of our nineteenth-century papers. For my own part, I was much occupied in learning to ride the bicycle and busy upon a series of papers discussing the probable developments of moral ideas as civilization progressed. One night, the first missile then could scarcely have been ten million miles away, I went for a walk with my wife. It was starlight, and I explained the signs of the zodiac to her, and pointed out Mars, a bright dot of light creeping zenithward towards which so many telescopes were pointed. It was a warm night, Coming home, a party of excursionists from Chertsey or Riselworth passed us singing and playing music. There were lights in the upper windows of the houses as the people went to bed. From the railway station in the distance came the sound of shunting trains, ringing and rumbling, softened almost into melody by the distance. My wife pointed out to me the brightness of the red, green, and yellow signal lights hanging in a framework against the sky. It seemed so safe and tranquil. Huge shout out once again to Mr. Sam Collins. Make sure to check him out. There will be links in the show notes below where you can uh, check out his other podcast, What You May Have Mythed. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, stay tuned. Uh, like I said, we're going to be bringing you chapters of The War of the Worlds. So if this is a book you've never uh, listened to before. If you're like Sam, where it's one of the, your favorites that you come back to over and over, you are in for a treat. As you can tell already, Sam is a professional when it comes to audiobook narration. So happy to have him uh, guest host for another world audiobook so yeah thank you guys i would love to hear what you have to say about it get in touch with me anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com or all the links will be below as always also anotherworldaudiobooks.com just to check out all the stuff we've got there all right we will catch you next week
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.